0: heki case two. The ultimate ways without difficulty. Pointing. Heaven and earth are narrow. Sun, moon and stars, all at once, go dark. Even the glows of the staff fall like rain and shouts roll like thunder. You still haven't lived up to the task of the fundamental vehicle of transcendence. Even if the Buddhas of the three times can only know it for themselves, the successive generations of patriarchs have not been able to bring it up in its entirety. The treasury of the teachings of the whole age cannot explain it thoroughly. Clear-eyed, clear-eyed patchwork monks cannot save themselves completely. When you get here, how would you ask for more instruction? To say the word Buddha is draining mud and dripping water. To say the word Zen is a face full of shame. Superior people who have studied for a long time do not wait for it to be said. Late coming beginners simply must investigate and apprehend it. The case. Zhao Zhu, teaching the assembly, said the ultimate path is without difficulty. Just avoid picking and choosing. As soon as there, is there are words spoken, there is picking, there is choosing. This is clarity. This old monk does not abide within clarity. Do you still preserve anything or not? At that time, a certain monk asked, Since you do not abide within clarity, what do you preserve? Zhu replied, I don't know either. The monk said, Since you do not know, teacher, why do you nevertheless say that you do not abide within clarity? Zhu said, It is enough to ask about the matter. Now bow and withdraw. was verse. The ultimate path is without difficulty the speech is to the point the words are to the point in one there are many kinds in two there is no duality on the horizon of the sky the sun rises and the moon sets. beyond the balustrade the mountain deepens the water grows cheap when the skull's consciousness is exhausted how can joy remain in a dead tree the dragon murmurs are not yet exhausted difficult difficult picking and choosing clarity you see for yourself this is a koan it's a fairly famous koan in the zen tradition we spoke about before I spoke about before here probably more than once it's a coin that we need to once in a while look at again it it offers a radical and immediate breakthrough on the spot, like a big hammer that just shatters everything. It goes to the heart of our issues and to the heart of freedom. Captures everything. You see, you can hear the long pointer, the one who's long pointer trying to shed light Raising the importance of these words. So last week, as you know, we concluded our Spring Sashim at the Davis Center, And then the past few days, some people, some practitioners who were not there, and then some other people who knew we were going, people from the Aikido world, have asked me how was it how was it how do you answer such a question are there any parameters we can describe an experience that cannot be contained cannot be conveyed cannot be given what we did we can talk about that right we we ate we walked we sat went to sleep we woke up did some yoga walked around the lake this is really what we did the activities but since these activities this is what everybody else is doing right we engage in those activities on a daily basis then why bother, take a few days away from that, from our busy lives, and go do it somewhere else? Is it because of the scenery? Is it because of the monastery? Is it because of the food? Food was good, but the other ways to get good food. So why bother? I go there to do what we're doing here. At the beginning of Sashim, i brought up three quotes. One of them was from Saint Saint-San's Chinjin mei which is actually where Joshua brings this line from. And that paragraph says, the more you talk and think, the more you go astray. Seize all speech and thought and everywhere you are with the word. Everywhere you are, the way. Seize all speech and talk. Let us shut up for a while, sit down, don't move. Look, examine, question, investigate. Don't assume you know. Begin from there. Don't assume you know why your life is the way it is. Don't assume you know why you complain about what you complain about. Just don't assume you know. And look, examine. The compulsive mind is that is constantly engaged in thinking and is in charge of producing the words we are. This is the mind that will ask, why bother? Go do what I'm doing here, over there. It's the same mind that keeps telling the story of our lives in very convincing ways. Very detailed. It's the mind that creates the fine structure. knows exactly where it wants everybody to be and everything to be placed mind creates a list of likes and dislikes, people I agree with, those who are on the other side, the reasons for my unhappiness, and the list of demands that need to be met before I will be at peace, before I can be or give myself permission to be content. Into to this mind, right? It is all very structured. And it all makes perfect sense. We can't reason with it. You can't break through. Not through conversations, not through reading, not through listening, to a teacher, or anything. You just can't break through. Because you won't allow. but well, is convinced that it is true that it is real and then Zen training is exactly that it offers a path to break through the solidity of the structure we create and it shines light on the fallacy of this reality not this reality but the reality we create which becomes this reality for us And in that, there are many tools. We do many things in Zen practice or Zen training. One of the more effective and conducive tools is Sashim. We need to be very clear about this and I will have to be blunt about it and tell you that you must see Sashim as a necessary part of your training. And we must find ways to incorporate Sashin's in our lives. Must. Now we have to schedule Sashin's the same way we schedule a vacation. You know when we schedule a vacation, chances are we are going to be there. What will it take for somebody to cancel a planned paid for vacation. You will move mountains to make it happen. Why don't we do it with the sheep? Why don't we see the this way? Why is it that often people say, well, yeah, I think I'm going to be there. I'll do my best. You can see right through that. I'll do my best because I want the door open to change my mind. Actually, somebody at the closing circle said beautifully that I was hoping my car will break down on the way to (laughs) Sijin so I can so I have a reason to not go. Others perfect. It's exactly what we think and what we think often creates what happens. You know, I talk to people at times and about going and they kind of maneuver and come up with all kinds of things, all kinds of reasons. Obviously at some point I have to back away because I can only meet, I can meet each one of you only where you are willing to meet. And also, going to is a big part of what Sashin is all about. So, planning it, putting it on schedule and making sure you make it is part of the training. Because something happens to the mind. Of course, the mind will create things because it knows this is a threat. This is a threat to me. But well, not in so many words, but that's where it comes from. And it's the same as maintaining daily zazen. Going to the, getting to the cushion on a daily basis is a huge part of our training. Because we find all kinds of reasons to not do it at times. And they make sense. So the discipline to get to the cushion, to connect the butt and the cushion on a daily basis is absolutely essential part of our training. And the training is to break through the solidity of our minds, of our thoughts, of our created reality. Sashins are such a vital component because they are set up in a highly structured way that is designed to mess with that personal structure. So it's a structure that is designed to break a structure, not to confine. But somehow the tight container it creates puts us face to face with our cherished preferences, with all solid thoughts, fixed assumptions about life, and provides ideal conditions to put those assumptions to test, to ask, is it really what I think it is? What is giving validity to the thoughts about who I am? The thoughts about my current circumstance? What do I value? What do I reject? What are the standards I use to judge myself, to judge others, to judge what happens? Of course, conventionally, it's easy to answer those questions. That's why, typically, those questions are not raised by most people. They are answered, but they are not raised. I can tell you. And if you won't listen I'll tell myself it's good enough. How? By thinking about it. Over and over and over again. And I convince myself that it's true. Of course I know what I'm talking about, or what I'm thinking about. And, And the demanding schedule of sashim and many hours of sitting just thrust us into this vast emptiness that just doesn't support any of what we think, any thought. just falls away, drops away. It does get picked up very quickly after Sashim, but that's why it's an ongoing training. So during Sashim, little by little, our concrete ideas just lose their grip on us, or we lose their grip on them. And we begin to hear a different voice that at first may sound a little odd, but little by little becomes more and more familiar. I know that voice. I know, I understand what this is talking about. The voice that comes from Stillness and silence, a voice that gets covered up by a succession of thoughts, by talking, by moving about, you know, and often I hear, as a teacher I have this incredible privilege to hear people, It's it's actually more what I hear than what I have to say that is interesting. Because you hear that the same person is talking about the same issues right? and it sounds very concrete and very real. And then after scene or during even, on something happens. Not to what the person was talking about, obviously, because, you know, there's no engagement with uh, challenges at that moment or at that time, but then something changes radically changes in the way we look at things. And that life seems completely different. And how is it? How is it possible that the same person who is talking about the same thing sounds completely different? A lot more anchored, a lot more calm, a lot more in alignment, a lot less frantic. And then the things that this person is describing sound less chaotic, less sticky, more manageable. Katie was talking about this in the closing circle. He was saying that, and he mentioned that at the beginning when he first came, he felt like he's going into jail. And it does feel this way at times. Of course, jail is not the place, it's us. It's how I handle my life. And then he said, little by little, it opened up and it became more like an open space. But he was talking about, uh, you know, some of the windows there have this wooden lattice lines, right? And it looks a little bit like jail, if you look at it this way. But then he said he was looking at another aspect of it and it looked wide open. And he felt that he was going back and forth between being in jail, feeling jailed, and then feeling spaciousness. It's kind of like this is the... We are, in a way, schizophrenic that way. And often I talk to people, they sound one way and then the next week they sound completely different. It is like talking to two different people. Because we do have two kinds of voices in us. So the question is, which voice do we believe? The one that judges, quantifies, separates, creates, or the, or the one that knows without knowing? You know, the path of Zen is a journey from contraction to expansion. From a sense of alienation to a recognition of unconditional unity. It's that sense of alienation that we believe. And that sense of alienation creates walls, judges, separates believes the thoughts. So we need to learn to be the master. The one who knows which voice to listen to. The one who knows to leave thoughts alone. Just don't mess with it. Don't worry about it. Nobody has promised that thoughts will subside or go away. Same with emotions. Nobody has promised. They'll disappear or become maybe less intense. They arise, intensify, subside. Arise, intensify, subside. Like everything else, everything else rises, subsists, disappears. So same with thoughts, same with emotions, same with everything. It's just that voice is so strong, so loud, and it takes this kind of containment to see it and to get in touch with the different voice. Now, Kabir, remember I quoted that. One of his poems he said he called it the wanting creature inside me. The wanting creature inside me. It wants and it demands and I obey. Last week somebody from the kids program, she has a seven-year-old in the program, like you though. And she was telling this seven year old is a little difficult at times. And uh, resisting and whining and whatever. And and the mother told me she is having a tough time with her. And she said that uh, last week her child told her, I don't know why I'm saying it, but there is something in me that is telling me to act this way. There is something in in me that is telling me to resist, to, to whine, to cry, to want, to say no to everything. I thought that was a very interesting... Recognition or moment of realization for seven years and that's the creature inside me, the wanting creature inside me. So it's not born yesterday, obviously, we walk around with it for I many years. So the practice is is a way to break free from the bondage of this voice. Same with Aikido actually, Aikido practice, it's a very structured practice. There's a way to get on the mat, there's a way to move, there's a way to bow, there's a way to uh, perform techniques. And it's very important to do it well and to do it correctly. Because if we don't do it correctly, people get hurt, you get hurt. And you don't learn how to move. You don't learn how to flow or how to get out of your own way. So it has to be very structured, but there's a point that that structure starts to fade away. And you find yourself functioning within the structure completely. when something is embodied already. You move, you flow, you don't know who is doing what. You don't know. And it doesn't matter. Because it's just constant flow. And the flow does what it needs to do. And that's the same with Sashim. It is highly structured and often people are they have issues with that. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? It's too much. It's not enough. The wanting creature in me. I'll do it, but as long as those conditions are met, I'll do that too. Another experience. Great. It's not going to work. But when you get to that, when the structure starts to, the idea of structure, probably better. The idea of structure starts to fade away while you within that structure you experience immense vastness richness it's just impossible to describe and those of you who have been to sashim know what i'm talking about and in that the voice the the, the wanting creature in me as kabir said that voice just it's there but it's no big deal it's no big deal because you learn to not give your body to that voice you learn to sever that connection that tie and you learn to trust something else and then the body becomes more at ease and less restless that's why now you see you listen to attention. Sit still because it's part of your practice. It's part of your training. Don't move. Don't give in to the fidget energy that is asking you, move, 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 go, give me this, give me that. Learn to say no. Or at least learn to say, not now. Teach it to delay gratification. Now it's like a process of going from ice to water. It's hard to it, right? To melt the ice. Right? Water and ice are always the same. Right? Water is ice. Ice is water. But it takes heat, fire underneath your back to melt their rigidity. And that's what Sashin is. It's a huge furnace that cooks us, melts us. And of course, that's why it has to be over and over and over. And we come back from Sashin a few days later, we find ourselves entangled again. And then it gets confusing. Well, how come I felt much better over there? Should I go back there? No, you shouldn't. You should realize that unless you have the capacity for spaciousness and for vastness you will not feel it there either. You just couldn't. Which means that you have the capacity to be spacious and now the challenge is to tap that capacity here with the challenges of our Vedaya. Zhaozhu said, the ultimate path is without difficulty. And the footnote says, not hold, not easy. Just avoid picking and choosing. And the footnote says, what's in front of your eyes? The third patriarch is still alive. Third patriarch is Saint Sam, who wrote uh, Shinjinmei, Trust in Mind, that beautiful poem. it's asking what's in front of your eyes what's in front of your eyes well that depends whose eyes are these who's looking is it coming from what's in front of your eyes in other words is what you're feeling come from what's in front of your eyes or are you producing it is asking you to look. Being in a rigid state of ice, of course our entire lives are based on picking and choosing. And also in turn, picking and choosing sustain the conditions that keep us in the rigid state of ice. It works very well. It's a closed circuit just keeps itself perpetuated. To avoid picking and choosing what does it mean? Does it mean to be indecisive? Non-committal? Or quite the opposite? To not reside in the state of picking and choosing is to wholeheartedly merge with the reality, this reality to be totally committed to it. But we're always committed to something, right? We can be committed to avoidance. Right? And, and wholeheartedly do that. Committed to resisting everything. And wholeheartedly do that. Is there ever any choice? What is picking and choosing? Can you choose this? Can you choose a different version of this? Of course. I create a different version and choose it. But do you ever, ever have any choice when you look at what's in front of your eyes? Does anyone have a choice? Is there picking and choosing? This line I said before, it's brought from the Xinjiang Mei. Right? And, it's, and he's using it, he's just brought it up and used it as a con, but he's using it to give us that blow on the head, to shake us up. He goes directly to everything that we care about. And he's asking, What's this? How do you know? that this is true what is impatient what's in front of your eyes what makes life feel so difficult at times and such a burden how does it go from feeling like a burden to, to not feel like a burden? What makes the difference? You know, do we really believe that it comes from the decision to go right or left, to go this way or that way, to do this or that? Do we really believe that it comes from our preferences? Is it true? Is it true that if I have everything I want to have and do everything I want to do, I will be in a much better place? Life will be different. We all have to make decisions, obviously it's not optional, of course it's an integrated part of our lives. But the process of deciding can be grueling Because we don't commit ourselves fully to this, because we often vacillate. And when we vacillate it becomes a source of lament, difficulties, for now and for the rest of our lives, unless we change the way we interact with life. You know, the burden in making choices and living with the consequences is, is greatly reduced. Greatly reduced when we don't move from a place of picking and choosing. When we move from the Supreme Way, from an undivided reality, there is never anything else other than this. At any given moment. And this is what he's talking about. This. But I don't want to be here, I want to be somewhere else. I don't want to do this, I want to do something. Jahshu says, as soon as there are words spoken, this is picking and choosing, this is clarity. As soon as the mind moves, there is a mess. The footnote says, two heads, three faces, a little boasting. When a fish swims through, the water is muddied. When birds fly, feathers fall. The more you talk and think, the more you go astray. The same sentence says, seize all speech and thought and everywhere you are with the way. Don't move with the mind that moves. Don't go with the thought. Don't bring it up to speech. And everywhere you are with the way. fish swim through. The water is muddy. When birds fly, feathers fall. Of course, as long as we are alive, there will be complications. There will be challenges to, to work through. This is also unavoidable. But again, how? How? How do we deal with it? We can go astray by thinking about it or talking about it, all meet it with arms open. Embrace it fully. Not judge it. Not pick and choose. Be it fully. Not defend anything. Don't get caught up in creating adversaries. I was talking to somebody uh, on Thursday, uh, Choboji. He asked asking me about some issues he was having. And, and he ended up uh, defending something. He uh, uh, was arguing with a friend. And then he asked me, is, is there any uh, is there any time to defend something? I said, give me an example. He said, well, somebody will say that Buddhism is nonsense what would you say? So I'll say maybe. Maybe it is. And actually maybe that's what's missing in our practice. Maybe it's all nonsense. Maybe it's all nonsense. But essentially it doesn't matter because the practice comes from experience and the experience verify and clarifies So what somebody else says doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. And what you think also doesn't change anything. So whether you hear it from another or you think it in your own head, it doesn't matter because when there is the experience of vastness, of spaciousness, who could argue with that? Who needs to defend it? Definitely not the one who is experiencing because the one who is experiencing is immersed in experience. the experience. Yahweh says, this old monk does not abide within clarity. Do you preserve anything or not? Do you preserve it? That's a very important question. What am I holding on to? What have I identified with? He's talking to us, our state of being. And he's asking us to examine our own nests. What are you holding on to? What have you identified with? remember when I was, (coughs) years ago, promoted to a current rank in Aikido. This person, I know for a while, for years, she came by, she congratulated me, but she said, don't forget, I was promoted before. <laughs> right? I said, no problem, I will never forget that. Because she's preserving it, and okay, if it's important for you, then yes, I will not forget that. Right? What are you, what are you? Holding on to. What are you unwilling to let go of? We all have something, right? Just ask the question, look at it. So at that time, some monk asked him, somebody was there listening to the teacher asked, Since you do not abide within clarity, what do you preserve? Jiahu said, I don't know either. And the monk said, since you don't know, teacher, why do you nevertheless say that you do not abide within clarity? And Zhahu said, Well it's enough to ask about the matter, bow and withdraw. And this monk was no novice actually. Based on the commentary, somebody trained for a while. He knew how to push and he wanted to push. So he knew how to keep the conversation going. Right? so he asked him since you do not abide within you do not hold empty ent- into onto anything sorry are you within clarity and if you're not within clarity you must be holding on to something right if you're not here you're there that makes sense convention especially if we think that the practice is a way to go from holding on to letting go and we divide the practice, we divide ourselves, we divide others, we divide reality, where I want to be, who I am, and if I'm not here, I must be there, if I'm not there, I must be here. But of course, embodied the practice in such a way that he completely forgot about that. Didn't try to make a point to prove a point. He was just flowing with it. a phrase: "The person with clear eyes has no nest." He had no nest. The monk had a nest or an idea of nest, trying to pin down his teacher to either this one or that one. And he said, I don't know. And he was completely at ease with, I don't know. So the monk kept pushing, and then he said, it's enough to ask about it, bow with law." And it is essential to inquire. Right? But where do we look for the answer? Will it come from the teacher? Or how do we look for the answer? So to bow and withdraw, that means to be, to be curious, but then go investigate on your own whether or not there is ever any other option other than this. Is there any other option? He's asking a third question, right? This one He says, since Zen speaks of knowing as a state of entanglement and not knowing as a state of freedom, then it would be logical to think that Zhao Zhu's I don't know indicates that he abides within clarity. But even that logical conclusion, right, arises out of mind that only knows how to pick and choose. not this, it must be that. This line actually that uh, Zhu picked up, that paragraph says, the supreme way is difficult only for those who pick and choose. Simply let go of love and hate, the way will fully reveal itself. For the way to manifest, hold not to likes and dislikes. The contention of likes and dislikes is a disease of the mind without realizing the profound principle it is futile to practice stillness in choosing to grasp or reject one is blind to suchness neither pursue conditioned existence nor stay in either emptiness neither entangled nor free conceptually that's what here and there merge to this and when here and there merge to this how could you choose? Because this is there. That is something else. And to think that there is something else going on, or to think there is a choice, is to stray away from the this, from the path, from the practice. Another dialogue, Jajua asked monk. Can you value this without reservations? Maybe this is the most important point here, right? Can, you, can we value this without reservations? Well, of course, we can value this if this answers that list of demand. Then I can value this without reservation. Or maybe if I'm a Daigo sitting and experiencing this vastness, yeah, I can value this without reservations. No problem. And that would be abiding within clarity, right? That would be nesting within clarity. But what happens when we go back to everyday challenges? That's where the question comes up again. Can you value this without reservations? So moment by moment, day by day, we should ask, can I value this without reservations? He says, without realizing the profound principle, it is futile to practice stillness. So you can sit and sit and sit and sit and and nothing's going to happen. You can actually sit and make things worse. Telling you now, you can practice Zazen for years and make things worse. So don't think that sitting is enough. Sitting shows, sheds light on not picking and choosing, on the impossibility of picking and choosing. What you do with it is on you. You can sit, sit, get up go back, mess things up, sit again, get up, mess things up, over and over and over for years, for the rest of your life. Now that the lights are on, what do you do? It's a lot easier to pick and choose. It's a lot easier to run away from this and run towards that. But no. That's not what the practice is about. Can we value this without reservations? And that's the disease of the mind, the picking and choosing. That's the disease of the mind. And to realize the disease of the mind is the cure of the mind. To realize I am creating this mess. Remember from that koan that he said the teacher told him the Buddha has gone gone. Or the footnote, I'm sorry, it was the footnote? It that says that the, the, the old Buddha has gone gone, right? And, and it says, not too far from here. Right? The, the old Buddha has gone gone, but not too far from here. It's always right here, never too far. All it takes is to value this without reservation. All it takes is to actually appreciate this, to not bring standards to this, to not drag ourselves to this. Leave yourself somewhere else, then go into a situation, see what happens. Lots to talk about, but we have to finish. (laughs) So we have to end it at this point. Maybe I'll bring up the verse at another time and talk about that. But work with this. Let's all commit to work with this question on a daily, momentary basis. Can I value this without reservation?